Welcome to Watershed Weekly. Today, let's examine one of the most significant ecological contributions made by salmon, the one they make after they die. Pacific salmon are striking in that every adult heading upstream to spawn will die soon after completing its reproductive task. Anyone who has visited a salmon spawning area in the late stages of a run has seen and smelled the results. Carcasses in various stages of decomposition are everywhere, and the air is heavy with the smell of rotting flesh. Visit the same site the next spring, and you may see a few jawbones or vertebrae laying around, but little other sign of the thousands of fish carcasses that formerly littered the ground. Tens of thousands of pounds of fish flesh have seemingly melted away in one of nature's greatest disappearing acts. Let's follow the fate of all that tissue. As salmon head upstream, they must run a gauntlet of hungry predators, brown bears and eagles principal among them. Some are taken by these carnivores and hauled away to be eaten. Their carcasses are scattered through the forest adjacent to the streams and rivers they were using. Scavengers like gulls and ravens haul spawned out adults from the water or eat them where they collect on shorelines. Terrestrial and aquatic decomposers such as fungi, fly larvae, and bacteria go to work on the leftovers. Wherever they end up, the carcasses are quickly consumed. The fish flesh becomes the tissue and metabolic waste of a myriad of organisms, and the marine-derived nutrients, the result of the spectacular growth of salmon while at sea, are distributed through the terrestrial and aquatic ecosystem. The benefits of the huge influx of nutrients nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, amino acids, and trace elements spread through the area. Decomposers break down carcasses and feces into their component parts. The nutrients imported by migrating salmon, now simplified by having been digested and excreted, become available to plants, from the ocean's algae to the forest's giant Sitka spruce. A fortuitous characteristic of two of these nutrients nitrogen and carbon has allowed researchers to document the contribution of marine-derived nutrients to the terrestrial ecosystem. Both elements come in a couple of forms or isotopes, and the ratio of the heavier isotope to the lighter one is measurable in a sample of tissue. It happens that the supplies of nitrogen and carbon in the ocean have a higher proportion of the heavier isotope than do the terrestrial versions. Samples of aquatic and terrestrial organisms can be analyzed for the isotope ratio, and any elevated level of the heavier isotope can be attributed to a marine source. For example, researchers have done a nitrogen isotope comparison of algae, rooted aquatic plants, insects, and zooplankton, fish and riparian zone trees, in areas within and beyond the reach of pink salmon at Sashin Creek in southeast Alaska. They found much higher levels of heavier isotopes, those marine-derived nutrients, in creatures within the range of the pink run than upstream of it. The nutritional benefit to trees declined with distance from the creeks. The abundance of microbes in a pink salmon accessible reach of another creek was 15 times that of a similar reach beyond the pink spawning zone. 25 times as many aquatic insects were found in the area used by pinks than in areas not visited by the pink run. The picture that emerges is that salmon are fertilizing the forests and aquatic systems in which they spawn. What benefit do the salmon derive from this contribution? 
Bolstering the growth of streamside vegetation helps anchor the banks, reducing the potential for sedimentation and degradation of spawning grounds. Increased densities of stream bottom insects means more food for juvenile coho, sockeye, and king salmon as they reside in fresh water. And indeed, juvenile salmon directly consume fragments of salmon carcasses. In this way, dead salmon increase the odds of survival of their offspring. The contribution made by salmon to the richness of the terrestrial system has been dubbed the salmon forest concept, and we are just beginning to probe the complexity of this phenomenon. It seems certain that further discoveries will reveal subtle interactions between salmon, the streams they spawn in, and the forests through which those streams run. This week's episode was written by Tim Shields. Watershed Weekly is a production of Tokshinook Watershed Council. Support comes from the Rubini Crossit Endowment Fund for Children's Health in Southeast Alaska and radio station KHNS.